Welcome to Kevin Connors Podcast. At the beginning of this session, you'll hear reference to a number of books. Information is available at kevinconnor.org where you can purchase these as paperback, ebooks, or an immediate PDF download. All right, just one quick commercial. Out on the uh, table there, you'll see a uh, little flyer there, and I'm not too good on commercials, but just people ask me questions. Uh, over, the, over the years, as I told you last night, I've had a lot to unlearn, a lot to relearn, and I'm not infallible, it's what the word says, and with all the different views and that, we're just struggling for the truth, and uh, we're just in this together, and, 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 and I know the pan millennials do make a joke of it, say, it'll all pan out, and it will. Regardless of what Kevin Connor believes or anybody else, it's all going to pan out, isn't it? See, so we can't lose for winning. But God's put it there. He hasn't just given us John 3:16. Only he's given us a lot there. Study the word. So uh, on the whole field of eschatology, there's four major textbooks I've written. The 70-week prophecy, most controversial uh, thing because as I understand, all the interpretations of Daniel and Revelation come out of ha- whatever your view is on that. And then number two, the second textbook I did is the interpreting the book of Revelation, which is the hermeneutics or the principles of interpreting the book. And then uh, uh, number three is the book of Revelation, Kevy's Heavy Revies, uh, 54 years work in that. And I told those of you here last night, I ended up, when I came in wife, I said, you won't believe this, 666 pages. So I thought, I can't do that. Someone told me, no, leave it. Book of Revelation, Kevin Connor, 666. I said, some already think I'm the Antichrist or his brother. So, um, yes, yeah, so I added one more page. And then uh, another textbook I've done on this area, and that's it, called The Christian Millennium. And uh, uh, it's just a, a brief study of the different millennial views and why I call myself a Christian millennium. So I'm not a Jewish millennium, not an R millennium. I'm not having a thousand years rest yet. And so I've called myself so... Uh, someone gave me this excellent foreword. If you want to know what Kevin believes, why he believes and how he came to these conclusions, these four textbooks deal on these most controversial subjects. And if uh, they run out there, you can go to Waverley Christian Fellowship and uh, pick up. You're getting a special uh, seminar discount uh, for those who are here. Thank you, Kevin, for that wonderful commercial. Well, I just want to tell you our sort of approach tonight. We've, uh, as the scripture says... Um, Come before the Lord with singing. The Bible always says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Everybody agree with that? That's our approach to God. God just enjoys singing. Uh, God is a musical God. Music originated in heaven, not in hell. devil took it and messed it all up on us, but uh, there's some music in heaven. God loves music. And uh, so he tells us to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. So we've done that tonight for a little while. Then I'm going to share the word at the end. Uh, We want to have some time of prayer. And then we want to close the whole seminar just with a time of of worship and thanksgiving to the Lord for everything he's accomplished in our hearts over this seminar together. Um, I want to first of all thank uh, Graham and uh, Susan McMeehan for taking the risk and inviting me to do this seminar. And it's just been a real honour. I want to uh, thank the sound team, not the unsound team, uh, we need sound in an unsound generation anyway, don't we? So appreciate all their work and uh, this little uh, lapel mic here. I want to thank the worship team uh, because, as I said last night, worship always precedes the opening of the book. And then I want to thank the cooperating churches, uh, uh, Citywide and uh, Olive Branch, and um, I'm not sure who else was cooperating, and the different ministers that have been here. And just thank you as a congregation for being such an intelligent bunch to minister to 
So sort of pat yourself on the back and uh, yeah. So really have appreciated this. All right, so how many have been here just for one session? Hands up, give me an idea. Okay, all right, why? Well, we're really glad you're here tonight, that's what I was going to say. So welcome. How many have been here for two sessions? All right, how many have been here for three sessions? How many have been here for four sessions? And how many have been here for the five sessions? I've been here for the lot too. Yeah, so welcome. So uh, as I say, if you haven't uh, been here for the whole session because it, it, it's a whole package deal, we'd like to encourage you to get the tapes. And always a funny of mine, people say, we like your tapes better than you, Kevin. And when I ask why, they say, well, we can turn you off. No, what they're really saying is we cover so much material, so they need to stop the tapes to try and pick up some of the things that we've covered. All right, so uh, we're on our final session tonight. And if you've got your notes, uh, we'll be turning to them. I'll tell you which page in a moment. But let's have a word of prayer again. I always like to pray before I uh, minister the word. So if you've got your Bible, let you let's take our Bible in our hands and just have a brief word of prayer. Once again, Father, we're gathered in your name. And uh, as always, Lord, you've told us to enter into your gates with thanksgiving and into your courts with praise, Lord. We've just come into your courts and we come before your presence with singing, with a heart full of uh, thankfulness, praise and worship to you, the mighty God. And Father, we just pray now as we take in our hands once again your precious word, your wonderful word, your inexhaustible word, uh, the written word. We pray that the written word will become the living word in all of our lives tonight. Once again, Father, I come depending upon the Holy Spirit, and not, uh, not just to communicate mind to mind, but spirit to spirit. Let it be, Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we ask in the wonderful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right, we haven't, uh, I don't want to take too much time on review, uh, but let me just touch on a couple of things that uh, we have been covering in our time together. In the five sessions that we've had together, the uh, first session we particularly looked at, and I'll just put this uh, briefly up to remind us here, on our first night we just referred to a number of uh, prophetic streams, and uh, another illustration sometimes that's good is, you know, as we look down, say, on the city of Melbourne, uh, we think of Flinders Street Station, and Flinders Street Station is like the terminal, so the, the trains go out into the suburbs during the day, bring people in and out, and then generally at night they come back to Flinders Street uh, Station, which is the terminal, and it's just like that in the Bible. There's so many prophetic streams in the Bible that have just sort of, as I said, began in Genesis and go through Exodus, every book of the Bible, and come to the book of Revelation, the Sea of Fulfillment, and uh, that, the book of Revelation is like God's terminal. That's where we all get off because it's all over and done with once we get to the end of those chapters. All right, so we mentioned a number of those things, and I don't want to mention them all, but uh, a number of things that we've been able to cover very briefly in our time together. The Middle East conflict, Jerusalem, a burdensome stone. What about Israel? We didn't cover too much on that. Uh, uh, the unification of Germany, development of one world government, the mark of the beast. Uh, Roman Catholic Church, we didn't touch on that. Uh, catastrophes, the opening of the seven seals, rebuilding of Babylon, and so forth. And uh, just so many things that we've been able to touch on uh, briefly. All right, then what I want you to do now is turn over to page, page, um, page two on your notes, if you've got your notes there. And just to give you the sense of direction we're going to go tonight.
I want us to, uh, I'm going to sort of rearrange because every time I do this type of thing I'm always learning and always getting uh, uh, more things myself. So page two, we've gone right through to uh, seven, eight, nine. From 10, 11 and 12, I want to bring some of these things together and we're just going to pick out one particular thing. So let's uh, turn over to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew's Gospel and uh, Matthew chapter 24. So Matthew chapter 24. 24, and let's pick out the verses we want to read here. Uh, we want to read from uh, verse 32 just to the close of the chapter. So Matthew chapter 24 and verse uh, 32 we'll pick up. I, I never apologize for reading the word because the word's the word. All right, so Matthew 24 and verse 32. Now learn a parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the uh, coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would, uh, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made uh, rule over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you, that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him and at an hour that he's not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Pray the Lord will bless that word to our hearts. Now while you've got your Bible open here, let's just, uh, just sort of summarize what I, I, I've sort of been covering in our five sessions. Session number one, we particularly uh, looked at Jerusalem, the city and the temple, the desolation of the city of Jerusalem, desolation of the temple in AD 70. We majored on those first few verses of Gospel of Matthew. Then session number two, we looked at Matthew just uh, as a panoramic book of Revelation, just uh, a miniature book of Revelation. And then session number three, we compared Matthew and Revelation just in brief on the opening of the seven sealed books and see how Matthew and the seven seals in the book of Revelation uh, correspond and then session number four last night uh, we looked at the rebuilding of Babylon how many uh, went home last night a little bit like Nebuchadnezzar a bit top heavy uh, I never did like history at school and sometimes I think most people don't like history but uh, I, I had to sort of catch up on that and so tonight what we're going to look at is is this well it was there a moment ago What I've put on your notes there, I've sort of uh, just revamped it. So 
Yes, just before I put that on. Have a look at verse 31, if you've still got your Bible, at Matthew 24, verse 31. What we find here is from verse 1 through to 31, Jesus has been giving pretty clear prophetic, uh, uh, prophetic teaching. There's not too much enigmatic about it, really. It's just pretty plain common sense. As I said last night, if the, if the sense of Scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense or you're going to land into nonsense. And so it's just been pretty plain teaching, a general order of events that were going to happen in AD 70, and you continue right on to the coming of the Lord. So verse 31 actually closes off the uh, more clear prophetic teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ right through to his second coming. He'll send the, uh, he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. They will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now from verse 32 onwards, the close of this chapter, verse 32 to 51, which we just read, and all of Matthew chapter 25, Jesus now moves into typical and prophetic, uh, I'm sorry, typical and parabolic teaching. And this is what you've got here. So you might like just to take this down and we're only going to pick out one thing just for our time tonight and not overload us here. So uh, end time events and all of these things have to do with the second coming. I don't think I can overemphasize it enough that uh, Matthew chapter 24 and 25, the word coming is mentioned uh, 17 times in those chapters. They're particularly seven, second coming chapters. So Jesus, after giving clear teaching that involves both AD 70 and the end of the age, his actual coming, now moves basically into parabolic teaching, but all have to do with the uh, second coming. So, number one, we have the parable of the fig tree. You've got the scriptures on your outline there. Number two, moves into something that's typical yet prophetic, as it was in the days of Noah. So shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man, eating and drinking and violence, everything like that. So here we are. Number three, the parable of the thief in the night. If the servant had have watched, he would have known what time the thief would come and not be caught unawares. Number four, parable of the faithful and evil servants. Uh, number five, uh, the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. You see, most of this, what Jesus is teaching here, particularly belongs to the end of the age. He's been talking about his coming and he says, then, when? Then the kingdom of heaven will be like unto wise and foolish virgins. And so though truth is applicable through all church history and all times, there's a particular emphasis on it in the end of the age. So wise and foolish virgins. Then number six, the parable of the faithful and slothful servants. And all of these are to Christians. And then number seven, the parable of the nations. Some say sheep and goat nations. No, nations, but there are sheep and goats in every nations and eternal states. So uh, Jesus moves into parabolic teaching, basically all having to do with his second coming, uh, second coming events. So from the prophetic to the parabolic and to the typical. Now what we're going to do in our time tonight, and as I'm not going to overextend the time, we're going to pick out number three and look at the parable of the thief in the night. All right, so if you've got Matthew 24 still open, let me just read that particular verse, uh, verses 42 and 43 and 44 again. So watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come, but know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. All right, now you can uh, turn from page two and turn to the outline, the simple outline I've given to you on your notes on page five. So page five, that's what we're going to uh, particularly uh, cover tonight in our, in our time together. 
Now, when it comes to this uh, field of eschatology and uh, the, the coming of the Lord as a thief in the night, Christ's coming as a thief in the night, it doesn't matter what uh, millennial school or field of eschatology that uh, a people might belong to, basically they all fall into two, two groups. So it doesn't matter whether they're, you know, post-mill, pre-mill, pan-mill, windmill, uh, or any other mill, uh, or just a dill mill, doesn't matter. Yeah, they all fall into basically two groups. So I'm just going to put this diagram on and just uh, not overload here. This is what we refer to as the dispensational view, which I used to be a strong dispensationalist, ultra-dispensationalist ultra one time. And so the dispensational teachings, Schofield and company and all this school, they believe that uh, the, there are two comings, uh, in the, uh, the, yeah, the two comings of Christ. And uh, so the teaching in this uh, dispensationalism is that uh, the first coming is the rapture. And this is spoken of as a secret coming where Jesus comes as a thief in the night. And there was my little poker here. Comes as a thief in the night. And uh, in, in, in this coming, he comes for his saints. So this is referred to as the rapture, secret coming. And the teaching generally on this is the rapture could take place any moment and Jesus comes secretly, comes as a thief in the night uh, and the world's not expecting, and he comes for his saints. Then this teaching of dispensationalism says once the rapture takes place, the secret coming, uh, then there will be seven years of the great tribulation, the reign of Antichrist, the mark of the beast, and all this type of thing. Then at the end of the seven years, Jesus comes actually the second time, and this is spoken of as the revelation, the open coming of Christ. So the rapture, the secret coming, the revelation, the apocalypses, uh, the open coming of Christ. Here he comes as a thief in the night. Here he comes in glory. Here he comes for his saints. Here he comes in glory and flaming fire with his angels, with his saints. So that's basically teaching of dispensationalism. The other school says, and so, so let me say this again, dispensationalism believes there's two comings, secret coming of the Lord, then the open invisible coming with seven years tribulation between. All right, the other school holds that the rapture and the revelation all take place at one and the same time. There's only one second coming and that these two events, the rapture and the revelation, all take place at one and the same time. Uh, there are those who say, we've always had tribulation, there's no seven years tribulation, there's no three and a half years tribulation, there's always been tribulation. All right, as I've been saying to you, you know, from thesis, antithesis, on synthesis, synthetic, way down the middle, and I'm sort of between both those schools. So this is the view I've been sharing with you, and I really do appreciate your attitude because I've been very hesitant to share on eschatology over the years, you know, because people lose their second blessing, get upset about and character assassinate me and say, hey, it's all going to pan out regardless of what Kevin Connor or Mickey Mouse or Donald Duck believes. God's got it all planned out. How many are glad for that? So uh, some people really get upset and say, hey, don't character and assassinate me. You know, if you don't agree with me, disagree agreeably. I disagree with you agreeably, okay? It'll all work out. So I appreciate the good spirit I've felt here and I've, I've been loose as a goose. Uh, yeah, so this is where I am, as I've said yesterday. I believe in three and a half years tribulation, but I believe with this school uh, that the rapture and the revelation take place at one and the same time. Christ comes as a thief 
in the night, but he also comes in glory, and there's only one coming, uh, one second coming. So that's what I want to submit to you tonight, and we want to explore that together in our time together. Everybody said hallelujah. If you want to put on this one coming, so if you're taking this uh, chart down, you can put this down as dispensationalism, the two coming theory. Christ comes twice. In the rapture, the secret coming, and the revelation, the open coming. So two phases of the coming of the Lord. All right, the class I would be in would be one coming, only one coming, and uh, maybe you could put down four words here just to sort of state out where, uh, what I believe on this and submit it to you. All right, in this one coming, number one, there is first of all, revelation of Christ from heaven. So his actual, literal, bodily coming. So I beseech you, brethren, by the coming of the Lord, the actual, literal, bodily coming of the Lord. So number one, the word revelation, revelation of Christ from heaven, the unveiling. Number two, second thing that I believe happens is resurrection of the dead. The Lord comes and the dead in Christ rise first. So first resurrection, there's a resurrection of the dead in Christ. So revelation of Christ from heaven, then number two, resurrection of the dead in Christ. Number three, we which you alive and remain shall be changed. So, number three, the immortalization of the living saints. So, revelation, Christ comes. Resurrection, the dead in Christ rise first. And then we which you alive, immortalize, change from glory to glory. So, we which you alive and remain. So, the uh, uh, immortalization of the living saints. Then number four, the fourth word is rapture. Or translation of the uh, resurrected saints and, and, uh, and, and the changed living saints, or what Paul puts it. Christ will be revealed from heaven, the dead in Christ will rise first, we which are alive and remain shall be changed, and then we will be caught up together with them, that's rapture, to meet the Lord in the air and live happily ever after with him. So that's what I believe. Revelation, resurrection, immortalization, rapture, all in one coming. Okay, so that's sort of summarized a little bit on, on that area. All right, now, let's move into our uh, notes a little bit here and see how we go. Um, how many, how many, and, and don't be afraid to get caught, you know, give me a little sense of fulfillment here. Okay, I like to catch people. How many believe that Jesus could come back as a thief in the night? Hands up. How many don't believe Jesus could come back as a thief in the night? Hands up. How many don't believe anything? How many are frightened of getting caught? How many have got a lying spirit? <laughs> okay, now for years, I used to teach when I was on uh, ultra dispensationalism, I taught that Jesus could come back as a thief in the night and uh, in those days, uh, I, I used to pastor a small church in Bendigo, uh, gold mining city, and uh, I used to play the piano chord and do a lot of street uh, meeting, uh, open air work, and uh, I'd be out there every Sunday playing the piano chord and preaching and singing away there, and I would say to the people that gathered, if we're not here next Sunday, you know the rapture has taken place, and Jesus come as a thief in the night, you're going to miss us, and you're going to be left behind after the rapture, and the devil's going to get a hold of you, you're going to get six, 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 all over you. I had great anointings on that till I found I was wrong, you know. But then, see, what we do to try and make it look real, we wouldn't turn up to the open air next Sunday. <laughs> but neither did Jesus. And that's many, 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 many years ago. You know, so I thought, oh, and then how many have seen the uh, Thief in the Night film? 
Okay, I haven't seen it, but I've heard reports of it. And so just imagine, you know, Jesus come back as a thief in the night. You're on your jumbo jet there, and all of a sudden the pilot disappears or the co-pilot disappears, and then half the, half the, um, yeah, half the passengers disappear, and the host is coming along to give them the dish, and all of a sudden they're gone with the wind by Mr. Blewett. Uh, just, yeah, just, you know, and... Wow, and then you're driving along in the car or the train and then all of a sudden the rapture takes place, cars are crashing in everywhere, planes are driving. It makes an exciting film. It scared the hell out of a lot of people and a lot of people got saved through the film. So I guess it was a good means to an end, how many would say that? hope that doesn't sound too rough because, see, I'm having heaven on the way to heaven. A lot of people are having hell on the way to hell. So how many think it's good to scare the hell out of it? Yeah, so it might sound rough and uncouth, but it's not. It's just truth. So every time we get people saved, we scare the hell out of them, get them to Christ and having heaven on the way to heaven. Everybody said hallelujah. All right, so that's what we want to look at tonight. Okay, is Jesus coming back as a thief in the night? Now, on your notes, I put down every reference, and those of you who know me by now, my certain fixations, I thought, okay, the only way I'm going to do this is study what the Bible says, what the New Testament particularly says about Jesus coming as a thief in the night. Now I went through the concordance and I went through every reference where Jesus is spoken of as coming as a thief in the night. And all together, in the synoptics, this is what Jesus said, Matthew, Mark and Luke basically repeat the same thing, Jesus coming as a thief in the night and if the good man had a watch well, uh, his house, he would not have suffered his house to be broken into and, and Jesus coming as a thief in the night. Then I went over to what Peter said and Peter said, oh, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, elements will melt with fervent heat and so forth. Then I went over to what Paul said and then Paul said, okay, Jesus coming as a thief in the night, you've got to be ready. And then finally I went over to what John said in the book of Revelation, the last two references, Revelation chapter 3 chapter th and verse 3, Revelation 16, 16. So altogether we have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 references to Jesus coming as a thief in the night. Okay, why don't we, um, yeah, I, just want to, I do want to watch our time tonight, but let's look at the second Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. One. You've got it on your notes there, as well as on the overhead. So let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 3 and I like to look at it in your Bible and as I said, you know, I've been saying all the way through I have had so much to unlearn I taught about Jesus coming as a thief in the night and would miss open air meetings <laughs> hoping somebody would believe me and here we, here we are, 2002, we're still going Okay, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse uh, 10 and 11 the specific verses and uh, Peter says but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in, in the which the, the heavens will pass away with great noise and the elements that shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. You see, this makes it very difficult. If Jesus came as a thief in the night and uh, it was for his saints in secret rapture, well, the elements and the heavens that have passed away with great noise. How can he come later on after the heavens have passed away and the elements are melt with fervent heat, the earth and everything's burned up and then come seven years later? So seeing these things, all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought we to be in all holy conduct and godliness, all right? Um, let's turn to Revelation chapter, uh, chapter 16. Revelation 16, I'll come back to those other verses in a while. Revelation 16. And you see, if, let me throw this again, if, if the church has been removed from any period of tribulation, whether you have seven years or three and a half years or 107 years, 
Why do you get a verse like this? Revelation 16, 16, where he says, Behold, I come as a thief. If the rapture has taken place in Revelation chapter 4, when John hears the trumpet and the voice says, Come up here, and they say, That's the rapture trumpet. Who is this message to? Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keeps his garments, lest uh, he walk naked and they see his shame. So way down here, still the warning of Jesus coming as a thief of the night. All right, let's go to your sheet. Number one, question number one. Do the scriptures teach that Christ will come as a thief in the night? And the answer is yes. Altogether, the answer is yes. So Jesus will come as a thief in the night. Answer is yes. All right, number two. How does a thief come? And there may be a few words you'd like to put here. And uh, remember, if Jesus comes a thief in the night and having done all the different Greek words, about five different Greek words for the coming of the Lord, and uh, all referring to one and the same coming, uh, uh, that, that's the thing. How does a thief come? Now, as I've studied what Paul says about the coming of the Lord, he says, and uh, for those who have not been able to be here, why don't you turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Yes, yeah, so 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, you might like to put down under number 2 here, and verse 13 to 18. So 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13 to 18. He says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, uh, concerning those who have fallen asleep, referring to the saints who have passed away, not soul sleep. No such thing as soul sleep. They go to be with the Lord. Body is spoken of as taken asleep. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope, for if we believe that... Uh, Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus will we be always with the Lord. So, revelation, the Lord comes resurrection, the dead in Christ rise first, and we which are alive and remain uh, will be, be changed. And so immortalization and then caught up together, which is the rapture, simply to be seized up, taken up and out, then we which are alive and remain are caught up to be with the Lord. Now, when a thief comes, if Jesus is going to come as a thief in the night, it's going to be a pretty noisy coming here. I mean, does a thief ever say, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming, shouting and blowing trumpets. I mean, that's a pretty noisy thief, isn't it? I mean, I've had my house robbed, and uh, when the thief came, he didn't announce his coming. So, and he didn't come blowing a trumpet with a shout and everything like that, none of that. How does a thief come? Why don't you put down just some very simple words here. First of all, and this is the whole teaching of every passage on the thief-like coming, uh, number, or letter A if you like, a thief comes unexpectedly when least expected, when people are not looking or watching. So a thief comes unexpectedly when least expected, people not look, looking or watching. Letter B, if they fit in, a thief comes unannounced. He doesn't sound a trumpet and blast that I'm coming. I'm coming. He comes unannounced. Let us see. He comes secretly and generally in the darkness of, uh, of night. So he comes secretly, generally in the darkness of night. Letter D, he comes silently as possible. Doesn't make too much noise, whereas the scriptures I read on the coming Lord, it's a pretty noisy coming. 
as silently as possible, and then letter, letter E, he comes to take valued treasures in the house only. He doesn't want to take the whole house. He, he comes to take valued treasures in the house. So how does the thief come? Unexpectedly, unannounced, secretly, silently, and comes to take valued treasures in the house. All right, now number three, uh, to whom will Christ come as a thief in the night? Now I remember a number of years ago when I used to believe in the thief-like coming, like uh, uh, the secret rapture and any minute rapture and so forth. I remember one time I, we had a, uh, uh, a man uh, from overseas, preacher, uh, to one of our meetings, and he did what I did to you tonight. He said, how many are looking for Jesus come as a thief in the night? And I put up, yeah, both hands. I've been preaching in the open air for years. Jesus come as a thief in the night. I uh, wish you'd hurry up and come and prove I'm right. And then he just said a shock statement. And he said, if you're looking for Jesus to come as a thief in the night, you're in darkness. I thought, oh, that's blasphemy. And uh, I said, well, that can't be right. Well, he said, let's turn to the Bible. So let's turn to the Bible, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And in my Bible, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 follows 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Everybody agree with that? Got unity of the faith on this point? So after saying that when the Lord comes, he's going to come with a shout, the voice of an archangel, with a trumpet God, pretty noisy coming. Then Paul goes into the thief life aspect, but let's read it properly because many times we don't, and I never did. Because I'd been given a theory and you just build it all up and you know, make me, it makes me now to look up every verse on every reference on any subject before I sort of come to a conclusion. In other words, all the parts of the puzzle, all the parts of the jigsaw puzzle, without forcing, distorting the puzzle. All right. There were no chapter divisions when Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians. So verse 18, comfort one another with these words. What? That Jesus is going to come with a shout, voice of archangel, trumpet of God, dead in Christ, rise first, resurrection, immortalization, caught up together, rapture. Then he goes on. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Well, there it is. The Lord's coming as a thief in the night. day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 4, we'll continue on. But, everybody say but. But, you brethren, and brethren includes assistance, but you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Hallelujah. So when he said, if you're looking for the Lord to come as a thief in the night, you're in darkness, I thought, wow, that's terrible. But see, I'd only ever read verse 1 and 2. Day of the Lord comes a thief in the night. And then he read verse 4. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. So the Lord is going to come as a thief in the night. And the day of the Lord was come as a thief in the night. But, brethren, you're not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not appointed us to wrath. Church will experience tribulation, as we said, but not the wrath of God, but to obtain salvation. Now, as I studied this scripture and meditated on it, I thought, Paul, where did you get that language from? So if you can hold your Bible open to 1 Thessalonians 5 and turn back to the book of Genesis chapter 1, we'll see what Paul is doing. So Genesis chapter 1, 
and the first five verses, Genesis chapter 1 and verses 1 to 5. And what I find is that Paul is going way back to the book of Genesis, and for those who have done uh, hermeneutics and key knowledge seminar, you may remember this, Paul is taking the language of creation and using the language of creation as the language of redemption. So listen to it. So keep your Bible open to Genesis, Thessalonians. So Genesis opens up with, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering, moved over the face of the, of the waters, and God said, Let there be light. And God saw the light that was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. He named these two articles. He called light, day, and darkness, night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. So here Paul, he goes back to the language of creation and uses the language of redemption. So he says, Jesus is coming back to the thief in the night. Day Lord comes as a thief in the night. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are children of the light. Where would you get that from, Paul? I got it from Genesis chapter 1, Kevin. Light. And children of the day. Where'd you get that from, Paul? I got that from Genesis, because God called the light day. So, children of light, children of the day, we are not of the night nor of darkness. Then, he says, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that uh, be drunken are drunk in the night. So, what does he do? He, he takes the language of creation and says, okay, we have two kingdoms here. Kingdom of light, kingdom of darkness, Children of the day, children of the night. And characteristics of the children of the, of the light and of the day are soberness, watchfulness. Characteristics of the children of darkness are drunkenness and sleepiness. So watchfulness, sleepiness, soberness, drunkenness. Wow. So we're children of the day. How many children of the day are here tonight? All right. So let us who are of the day be sober. Disciplined mind, it actually means... People good in drinking and sipping saints around the place, get their little mind all tipsy, sober, disciplined mind, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, hope of salvation. How many know that you need your head saved? That's what the helmet of salvation is for. All right, so thief in the night. All right, so whom does Christ come as a thief in the night for? Now, I want you to go over to... Second Thessalonians, uh, no, I'm sorry, um, Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. In fact, let's see, uh, you've got it on your diagram there, yes. Second Peter chapter 3, uh, let's go back to there again. So we're going to question number four, uh, number three, pardon me now. To whom will Christ come as a thief in the night? So Second Peter is very clear. So let's just read a few more verses here. And actually, I've put, put the answers on your, on your sheet there, but any additional thoughts you might like to take? So, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. Beloved, I now write to you this, this second epistle, in, uh, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Saviour, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days. And how many believe we are in the last of the last days? Time of the end, not the end of time, but time of the end. Walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. But this they are willingly forget, 
This they willingly forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that then was existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is, is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the elements, the heavens will pass away with a great noise, the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are therein will be burned up. Therefore, and as someone has said, whenever you see a therefore, you want to see what it's there for. All right, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conduct and, uh, conduct and godliness, looking for and hasting the coming of the day of God, because of, of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth uh, in which dwells righteousness. Everybody said hallelujah. So on your, on, your, on your diagram there, number one, Jesus will come back as a thief in the night to the unwatching world. So number one there, you've got it on your diagram. So Jesus will come back as a thief in the night when the world is least expecting, not watching, say, oh, you Christians always talk about the coming of the Lord, always setting dates, we've heard this, been there, done that. And so the unwatching world, he will come on them as a thief in the night. Now, I want you to go to the second one. And this, when I saw this, I thought, wow, this is such a challenge. Jesus is also going to come back to a church that's not watching. So let's go to the book of Revelation. And this was a shocker to me. Because I thought once I said, oh, well, Jesus coming back to the world's a thief of the night. We don't have to worry. Yes, we do. Listen to this uh, warning. So Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. Now in the uh, several chapters here we find that Jesus is writing to the seven churches and he has a distinct word to say to each of the churches and yet uh, even though it's to each individual church he ends up saying, he that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So I personally believe that there were seven local churches back there but they are also seven representative churches there were more than seven churches in Asia at the time. I mean, Paul wrote to seven churches. John wrote to seven churches. There are many, many, many local churches. But these seven are picked out. And, uh, and please take this kindly, but I want to challenge this tonight. You know that I believe everybody belongs to one or maybe two or three of the churches sometimes. Some belong to Ephesus. They've left their first. I've not lost it, left it. Some belong to Laodicea. Oh, they're, they're not cold, but they're not hot. Neither hot nor cold. They're just... Plain, lukewarm, warm, mediocrity. No fire for God, what we're singing about tonight. I don't belong to Laodicea. I don't want to belong to Ephesus. I don't want to belong to this church. Listen to it, Revelation chapter 3. And to the messenger, the Ongelos, of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. Wow, listen to this frightening statement. That you have a name that you are alive but you are dead. Wow. So here he's writing to the church in Sardis. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Sardis. And he says, oh, Sardis, you want a good live church? Go down to the church of Sardis. It's got a good name. It's a live church. Well, you know, uh, 
as I said, please take this kind, but what do we really mean by a live church? Not drama lights, flashing lights, strobe lights, smoke, holy smoke, loud music, noisy music. Oh, yeah, we're a live church. We're with it. We're a... Hey. What, 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 what is our definition of life? Hey. We have such a wrong definition of life, particularly in the Pentecostal world. Oh, there's a live church. You get with a bang. In fact, one of the articles I've got home somewhere, I filed it away, I can't find it, but uh, those of you who know New Life magazine, a number of years ago, New Life wrote an article, and the guy wasn't for it, but it frightened me. And the title of the article was, Ten Ways How to Grow a Church Without God. Now, he wasn't for it, but when I read the article, I thought, oh, God. I don't think of church growth. There's 346 books out on church growth today. Everybody wants to grow a church, and we do. But you can grow a church without God, and he listed ten ways that we can grow a church without God. Well, I don't want to grow a church without God. I want God. I want the presence of God. How many can say amen? Don't care what else happens, and I think so often we're so imitating the world because we want to be so contemporary and so relevant. The only place the Holy Spirit gets in is the benediction. Praise Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Wrong end of the meeting to let him in. He'd like to get in right from the start. How many are with me tonight on this? Yeah. Okay. So he writes to Sardis. You've got a name that you're a live church. You're looking for a good live church. Go to the church of Sardis. But just one little word, but you're dead. What is it to be dead? Just to be devoid of life just to be cut off from the life source. Oh, your church is alive. You have live music, live this, live this, live... Everything's alive. Even youth alive. But Jesus sees beyond the external to what I am on the inside. Wow. I wouldn't like to belong to Sardis, would you? But there are many Christians that do. Let's continue. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. They're not totally dead. There's a few there. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Remember, received, repent. Three hours. And now listen to it. He's writing to a, if you please, a Pentecostal church. There were no others in the, in the New Testament. There was no Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, Calathumping, Chris Cross, Come Back, or anything like that. They were just all spirit-filled churches. That's all they knew back there. So he's writing to a spirit-filled Pentecostal church in Sardis. And listen to what he says. Remember, therefore, how you've received and heard and hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch and you will not know what hour I will come upon you, you have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments. And see, Old Testament custom was if, a, if an Israelite touched a dead body, he became defiled by death. And if you belong to a dead church, death defiles. Some people said to me over the years and to a great minister fellow of mine in America, oh, should I leave my church? They don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They're fighting against the sides of the devil. And Oh, but I've been there. My mother's been there. My grandmother, grandfather. I mean, we've been there for generations. Once a, once a drip, always a drip. See how kind I was? And this brother had a good word. He said, look, if you're sitting on an iceberg and melting it, stay there. But if you're freezing to death, get off. 
I like that. And see, many, many, alive, many, a, uh, many a live lamb stayed with a dead mother. Thank you, Kevin, for that wonderful point. You have a few names, even the Sabbaths have not defiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Then he says, he that overcomes, overcomes what? Overcomes deadness. Not being connected to the source of life. So number two on your diagram, who else, who else is Jesus coming as a thief in the night to? He's coming to believers that spiritually belong to the church of Sardis. It's pretty clear. No mistake there. So there will be some unbelievers, I mean all unbelievers, and there will be some believers who Jesus comes as a thief in the night to. So I don't want to belong to Sardis. I don't want to belong to a dead church. Alive outwardly, but inwardly. And then all those scriptures I've given you there, Matthew 24, Luke 12, Revelation 16, all those scriptures are written as warnings to believers. Now, if Jesus came back tonight and all believers are going up in the secret rapture, don't worry about these warnings. She'll be right, mate. Typical Australian Sardis Christian. <laughs> the world's going to miss Jesus, but I'm right. She'll be right, mate. I, oh, let me have a drink of a holy water moment. I remember talking to a spirit-filled uh, Pentecostal minister a number of years ago. He's dead and knows better, a good brother, gone to be with the Lord. And uh, he said to me, look, Kevin, he said, I believe that when the rapture takes place, which is any moment, that's where I got it from, and he said, all Christians will go up in the rapture. I said, well, what about these Christians who are backslidden? And uh, like say, I'll use the illustration. Here's this Christian in a theater watching some pornographic or murder film, which has been censored, you know, and... Uh, you think Jesus is going to go into the theater and say, excuse me when the film's over, the rapture's on. And he actually said to me, yes. I said, I don't believe that. Because I started to wake up to some of these things. He says, watch, all warnings. You know, I read a little bit of history on uh, Sardis. Let me read this little part here. Then we're sort of going to come in for a landing. Sardis was once a rich and glorious city. It was some 30 miles southeast of Thyatira. Thyatira. It was also once the capital of the ancient kingdom of Lydia in Asia Minor. The citadel of Sardis was located upon a plateau some 1,500 feet upon the plain and built at the foot of Mount Tomolus, which rose behind it. Around it thus were precipitous sides, and so steep were the walls that... Crucius, the last king, omitted to guard it. Now, you have to think Jesus is writing to the church in the city. And, 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 and one, of the, one of the tragedies of each of the seven churches, five of them are called to repent, five out of seven. And if you put that percentage-wise on, say, the church today, or the, the, the church worldwide, well, how many think there needs to be a lot of repentance in the church? Because the world never repents till the church does. A, a, awakening comes to the world when revival comes to the church. It's always that order. And so here he's calling to the church five out of seven and calls them to repent. And the tragedy is that the Lord had put the church in the city and instead of the church affecting the city, the condition of the city got into the church. And as you study as I have, and that's in that textbook out there, as you study the history and setting of the church, so wow. 
Are we affecting the city or is the condition of the city getting into us? So here around Sardis uh, were precipitous sides and so steep were the walls that Crucis, the last king, omitted to guard it. The position of Sardis was ca uh, considered impregnable. The city was continually harassed by bandits and thieves from the hills that the people needed to continually watch these attacks. And that's what Jesus is saying to the city. Watch, watch, I'll come on you as a thief in the night if you don't watch. However, because of its seemingly impregnable position, the people became careless and indifferent and relied upon their own apparent security. Under Cyrus, the city fell. And this is very interesting. He goes on in the history here that one of the Persian soldiers, the Persian army, is down in the plains there. One of the Persian soldiers saw a Lydian uh, descend by cut slopes down the steps. He lost his helmet and he uh, descended down the side of the cliff by some steps there to retrieve his helmet. And as he watched, he thought, if he can come down, then we can go up. And they were told in the history, and this happened on uh, two occasions because they were not watching, the Persian army came up the cliff and that night, when it was unguarded and nobody was watching, the city was taken. Taken like a thief in the night. That's the picture. Let me continue saying, reading it. So one of the Persian soldiers, seeing a Lydian descend by cut uh, stops down one of the sheer sides of a cliff, which had worn with the passing of time to regain his helmet, noted the place and thus led a troop of Persian soldiers up the cliff under darkness of night, and the city was surprised and taken. They came as a thief in the night, and because Silas was not watching, the city was captured. And this happened a number of years ago. And what a warning the Lord is giving. All right, I want you to go to question number four, and we're sort of going to bring this part of our service uh, to, uh, to a close here. So, to whom will Christ come as a thief in the night? Everybody answer number one. He's going to come to the unwatching world. Everybody say it with me. Unwatching world. And number two, he's going to come to believers who are in a Sardis condition. And maybe others, because, you know, some people belong to Sardis. They have a name that they're live Christian, but they're spiritually dead. Or they belong to Laodicea, lukewarm, making Jesus sick. Because Laodicea, the waters would come from Colossae, down the aqueduct there. And by the time it came down here and through the city of, of uh, Laodicea, it was lukewarm. And doctors used lukewarm uh, water to make people sick. And Jesus said to his church, it's not Kevin Connors, Jesus said, hey, you're making me sick. I just want to puke. I'm going to vomit you out, talking to his church. Wow. And that condition. So, to whom will Christ come as a thief in the night? Number one, to the unwatching world. And then number two, let's all say together, to Sardis-like believers. Let's all say together, to Sardis-like believers, unwatching. So, I want to be watch, watching, don't you? And so, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he will not come as a thief in the night to the watching church. Okay, let's finish on this uh, number four. What practical steps should uh, believers be walking in? I want you to turn over to uh, Luke chapter 21 here. Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. Everybody doing all right there? Up on the balcony, you're doing okay? Luke chapter 21, and go down to uh, verse 34 to 36. I'll read it here, and then I want to read it from the Amplified, and then uh, 
You just have a few little fill-ins there on the bottom of the page there. So in uh, Authorised it says, But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Listen to how the Amplified says it. But take heed to yourselves and be on your guard, lest your hearts be overburdened and depressed, weighed down with the giddiness and headache and nausea of self-indulgence, drunkenness and worldly worries and cares pertaining to the business of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap or a noose. For it will come upon all who live upon the face of the entire earth. Keep awake then and watch at all times. That is, be discreet, attentive and ready, praying that you will have the full strength and ability and be counted worthy to escape all these things taken together that will take place and to stand in the presence of the Son of Man. Go down to practical steps here. Number one, first thing, bringing these uh, words together is take heed to yourselves. Self is the biggest enemy. Kevin Connor's biggest enemy is Kevin Connor. So I have to take heed to myself and put down, well, you can put down uh, Luke chapter 21 I've given, given you. And it's interesting that when Paul says to the elders of Ephesus, he calls the elders, he said, take heed to yourselves, then to all the flock of God. So take heed to myself. When he writes to Timothy, he says, Timothy, take heed to yourself and then the doctrine. So I've got to take heed. What is my spiritual life like? Where am I? Where's my relationship with the Lord? So number one, self is our biggest enemy. Number two, second word is watch. And over and over again in these scriptures I've read to you on the thief like coming, watch, watch. Beware of sleep and sleepiness. Watchfulness. That's it. That's what these parables are teaching, watchfulness. Then number three, and whatever this means, he says, pray that ye may be worthy to escape. When Paul writes, he says, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction, and they shall not escape. So some people are going to escape, some are not going to escape. So I'm praying, Lord, I want to be worthy to escape. If I'm alive to the coming Lord, I want to be worthy to escape. How many can say amen with me? Escape what? Escape all these things that are going to come on the face of the earth. So some will escape, some will not escape. Number four, work. And the whole thought, why don't you put in connection with this, Mark chapter 13, verse 32 to 37. Mark 13, verse 32 to 37. And the whole work there is providing food for the household, like the house church as it was in that day. And uh, meet in due season, serving the Lord, working for the Lord, 100%. Number five, keep awake. Put down Romans chapter 13, keep awake. Paul says, it is high time to wake out of our sleep, for the day is nearer at hand than when we first believed. Wow, if that was true then, much more so now. All right, keep awake. Romans chapter 13, verse 11 to 14. Romans 13, 11 to 14. Then number six, be sober. And uh, you can put down sober, sober-minded, put down 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verses 5 to 8. 
So 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 5 to 8, sober. And I've gone through for my own study, you know, on the word, every reference to the word sober, and it always means to have a, be of a disciplined mind. And, and the whole opposite thought is drunkenness, when people get tipsy, and it bothers me that so many Christians are getting into tipsy stuff and sipping saints, as David Wilkerson calls them, and just their mind, you know, but to be a sober mind, alive and alert and awake, and not tipsy minded. Everybody said amen. amen. Everyone else said oh me. And then uh, number seven, walk in obedience to the word. We are children of light. Walk as children of light. That's the message that we have there. I just, I just, uh, I just want you to bow your heads just at a moment. We, we're not finished yet. Well, there's something I want to say. And then uh, we're going to close with a time of worship here. Let, let's, all, let's all just bow our heads, close our eyes here, and just no looking around here. I want to thank you once again for just the privilege of sharing the seminar with you and just good response and just the encouraging word I've, I've had. But as we bring this part, this section of the meeting to a close, I wonder how many say, Kevin, you know, I've received a lot over this seminar. But I really feel challenged, and this is why I kept this message for the night, I really feel challenged that maybe I'm just not living up to what I should be, and I just want to commit myself afresh to the Lord, and I want to watch, I want to be sober. I don't want to be caught as a thief in the night. I don't want to be caught up with the world and given my portion with the hypocrites and cut asunder as that man was who was a believer. And you just want to raise your hand and say, Look, Kevin, I just want to commit myself to the Lord just up in the balcony anywhere here, just want to recommit yourself to the Lord. Don't be afraid. I, I want to do that tonight so that I'm watching and I'm not going to be taken unawares and I'm not looking for Jesus to come as a thief in the night because I'm watching. Father, we just uh, humbly bow in your presence at this moment. We thank you for the privilege of sharing this seminar with your people. As I've been praying constantly, Lord, that I haven't just wanted to give a lot of information to the mind, but something that will come into our spirits. Make us the men and women of God that we ought to be in our generation. Father, we pray that the word that we've sown in this seminar, casting of seed, sowing seed, Lord, will fall upon good ground of our hearts, and in the days that are ahead, just bring forth good fruit. Seal this whole seminar to all of our hearts, Father. We ask in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. I just want to talk to you folks as we sort of wrap up before we have a time of worship. T -t Tonight's a very special night for me. Some of you know why, some of you don't. A number of years ago, we used to sing a chorus. I had to try and remember the words. I remember the time. I can show you the place where the Lord came down and saved me by his grace. I can't tell you how, but I can tell you now that he saved me. Oh, yes, he saved me. This week I turned 75 years of age. I don't look 75, do I? More, 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 more. But 61 years ago, I was sitting in the back seat of this very hall. Just a kid of 14 years of age, just a frightened kid, orphaned, I had no mum and dad, 
I'd been institutionalized in a, a number of boys' homes, and I was sitting in that back seat, just as a kid of 14, frightened, just confused, suicidal, wondering where I come from, why my parents dumped me at three months of age, and the different institutions I'd been put into. I was a, I was a ward of the state. The Salvation Army Band was playing on the platform here. And as they were bringing the meeting to a close, they were singing a song. Only a step to Jesus. And why not take it now? And the chorus went something like this. Come, only a step, only a step. Then why not take it now? Come and your sins confessing. You will receive a blessing. Do not reject the mercy he freely offers you. And I remember coming from that back seat there. This is a little kid of 14. Lost frustrated, confused, suicidal. And I remember coming and kneeling at the Salvation Army penitent form was right where I'm standing. And just crying. I asked Jesus to come into my life. And I never knew that 61 years later I would be standing here talking to you about the coming of the Lord. And at that time, I was still a kid, I was at the Box Hill Salvation Army, and I remember how often, Sunday after Sunday, when some of the older Salvationists would get up and testify, and they would say, when I was a kid, so many years of age, I gave my heart to Christ. And then I backslid 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. And now I've just come back to Christ, and I just look back, on those wasted years. I wish I could claim those years. As a kid of 14, 15, I heard that. And I said, God, I don't want to have wasted years. And now I look back to when I was 14 years of age, 61 years ago. And here I am in this place. You know what I want to do? I just want to kneel down here where I knelt so many years ago as a kid of 14 at the mercy seat, as it was called. And I, you know, I don't know what years the Lord's going to give me, but I just want to recommit my life to Christ as I did at 14 years of age. If you want to do that along with me, I just want to kneel here and just pray to the Lord. If you want to do that, why don't you just kneel where you are? And just join with me in prayer. Can we do that? We hope you've enjoyed today's teaching. You can also watch this five-part seminar on video at kevinconnor.org forward slash courses.